This old-time radio program was originally aired live, long before the advent of high fidelity. As a result, you may detect an occasional surface noise or volume drop due to transmission problems so common to old radio. What's happening, hot stuff? I want my MTV! You'll get nothing and like it! Bueller? JR? You are the daddy. How come Andrew gets to get up? If he gets up, we'll all get up. It'll be anarchy. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Gnarly! Hello and welcome once again to Members Only Studios. I'm Rob and welcome to Living in the 80s. This week I've got a very special guest on a very special occasion. Uh, I have Timothy Clue with me here. This week uh, is the... 40th anniversary of Live Aid, and like you guys come to expect around here, I only bring in the heavy hitters, the big guns, the knowledgeable people on the subject. So welcome to the show, Timothy. Well, uh, thank you for thinking so, and thank you for bringing me in. I know that I love the event Live Aid uh, uh, very much, um, big fan right from the beginning, and so I'm glad that you brought me in to talk about it. Awesome. So, uh, one thing before we get started, we, we got to do our little housekeeping here. So, um, thank you to all of you that check into the Facebook page. Uh, I made a huge decision this week. I decided that the hidden gem of the day will now be the song of the day instead. Um, I was finding that when I'm putting people out there like Roman Holiday and Split Ends, people just have no idea what I'm talking about. So I'm, I'm that much of an 80s nerd that some of these things I'm only getting <laughs> feedback for myself <laughs> on. So I thought, you know what? There are a lot of songs out there that, that would fall uh, that people just weren't reminded of. And some of these things are bigger hits. So I'm doing that. Uh, so we're up to you know, well over a thousand people now. I didn't check my numbers uh, today. I typically do, but I did not today. But uh, thank you to all of you that get in there and check in and make that a great page uh, that people want to visit. Um, it is it is a blast for me. Uh, we're at 1,293 members. That's where we're at, 1,293. Uh, so continue doing that. Post all your favorite memes from the 80s, commercials, music videos, movie trailers, anything that has to do with the 80s that's not super political. Uh, that's what we're looking for. So please continue doing that. It is a, it's a lot of fun for yours truly to go in there and check that stuff out. And um, make sure that you are visiting our webpage. Uh, if you haven't, it's livinginthe80s.us. So go in there, check it out. Um, any suggestions you have on there, please let me know. I would love to continue letting that thing evolve and let it be a good and fun place for everybody. Um, and the last thing, as always, we want to thank um, Flounder and the team at uh, Roundtown Radio, as well as Star 107.9, uh, who broadcast this podcast every week. And uh, over a thousand of you listen uh, per week to that. So thank you to all of you out there that are making this 80s experience one that's enjoyable 
for me if nobody else. So, actually, I'm, I think it's. I'm glad you mentioned Star Wars Seven Nine. I was actually in that station, uh, um, and uh, I would like to give myself credit that I uh, pointed out Godly and Cream's uh, hit "Cry" for them to add to their library. You're kidding! Oh, that you know what that I love that song. And that old high pitched thing at the very end. Oh yeah. How do you? I'm sure it's a studio thing. But oh, it's yeah. very cool. <laughs> just, just the song spun up fast, uh, but uh, but also the morphing video. It was. Uh, oh yeah, with the faces, yeah. the kind. Of, yeah, that well, was that was cool technology. Wasn't that the video of the year? Maybe in eighty five, eighty six. Oh yeah, and uh, and really high on the technology uh, of the time. That uh, that kind of made the hit on the video wise, even though. I I pretty much I I love the song it's, itself. It, oh, I do too. It's it's well. I mean, I liked them when they were ten CC back in the seventies. They had a couple pretty big hits like things you things you do for love uh, was a great song. I I still that one still sounds fresh to me today. So yeah, I would say so too. Yeah. I'm uh, I like that song as well. Yeah. So yay. Uh, what we're gonna do now? We're gonna go get in the DeLorean and go back in time to. 1985. So, as we mentioned before, um, Live Aid was uh, July 13th, 1985. Uh, Tim, what were you doing July 13th, 1985? Well, I had uh, I had um, I just um, heard of Live Aid the day before. <clears throat> and when I heard about it, I was psyched. I bought a bunch of blank VCR tapes, and I stood by the set and recorded. Uh, I believe it was a 16-hour run altogether. Wow! My my um, my friend David Yusko that I grew up with, um, his dad had done the same thing. His dad was kind of like a musical mentor to me. Uh, introduced me to a lot of stuff. Like he he was a teenager in the 50s, so uh, his rec- he has got the biggest private record collection. I've ever seen, and um, that day I'm sure he had had it on SLP on his VHS, and he recorded probably three or four tapes of that. And I'm sure I am sure somewhere he still has them. So, which means he probably has the Lost Led Zeppelin. Ah, tapes. well, when they came out with the DVD, it was funny. A friend of mine was uh, we we uh, we remade a DVD I did for myself using the DVD and all missing footage from my VCR tapes. Oh, wow. So you're gonna, I, I you're got gonna, the complete. You're going to have to hook a brother up. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have the the commercially released DVD set from Live Aid, which is wonderful. Uh, the I can't remember when it was released. I want to guess 2005, maybe. Maybe yeah. the 20th anniversary. Uh, my daughter had got it for me for Christmas. I totally was not expecting it, even though I wanted it. Um, I was not expecting that, so that is a great present, and I still, you know, still have it today. Oh, it's a yeah, it was a great blast to the past. So, I remember uh, at the time I worked uh, for a company. I was a I was a an exterminator, which I I, I was terrible at that job. Uh, they were good people. I was just bad at it. So on the weekends, uh, I was delivering pizza for Cardo's Pizza. And over in the south side of Columbus. And that Saturday, I, I, I only delivered on, on Saturdays. And like maybe a, a couple Fridays or Sundays I may have delivered. So I, I had it, I probably had that job that one summer. 
But this one day, I took off. And I got up early in the morning when Live Aid kicked off and started watching from the opening ceremonies. Every And I was, I, I was jockeying back and forth between um, uh, MTV's coverage and ABC's coverage because they, they both did it oh, together. Yeah, yeah. And so I was, I was uh, man, I was in heaven. Because being such a fan of music, this was again knowing who was going to be there and and you know what it was for i was i was i was all in like i got to see this i mean this is the biggest thing since woodstock and so i had to i had to, i felt like i had to watch every single second <laughs> and and i i i did <laughs> i think that actually speaks for the culture of us children members growing up at during that time uh, 80s music was a piece of our structure. And listening to the radio was um, was the thing that we we shared with each other. Oh it yeah, was, it was that. Uh, it was our soundtrack. Piece. Yes, yeah. and and it's still is. I think more so than it than it has been for decades to follow. I agree. Uh, <clears throat> and we've had this discussion somewhat, but now I've got a music guy in front of me. So we'll talk about it a little bit more. So it, it feels like uh, our generation, and I would I would say going back to, um, I wouldn't say as much the '60s, but the '70s and the '80s for sure. Um, it, music suddenly wasn't just background music or just something you listen to while in the car. Like these are things that you would go out of your way to record stores to get. These are, I mean so many memories we have tied to life experiences about the music. Yeah. Uh, particularly for me, uh, myself, the, the rock of the seventies, mm-hmm. uh, I consider uh, probably the most iconic. Um, and I, in, in the, uh, and, and the pop and actually pretty much experimental, um, to, uh, just plain one hit wonders mm-hmm. that gave the music color. And gave us many genres. Yes. This this is what made um, that. This is before the industry really stacked down what the top forty was going to be. Sure. And people would pretty much take anything. Right. Agreed. So when we're talking about Live Aid, at the time it was out, <clears throat> uh, we're talking. This is just three years, almost three years after the beginning of MTV. So, had this event been held in 1980, I don't think it would have got the the traction, the momentum that it needed to be as large an event as it was. Because, thanks to, again, we're doing an MTV episode later this summer, but um, th- thanks to... MTV kind of letting us see more of these international bands. Now they're on our screen, and we kind of we know who they are now. Um, before MTV, we wouldn't know who um, the Boomtown Rats were. Yeah, like I would know because like I would read Rolling Stone magazine <laughs> and I would look at the album charts and I would go bug my local record store and order records for them to uh, these imports would take weeks <laughs> to come through but uh we were suddenly 
you know, becoming a smaller world as far as the music goes because we're, we're hearing some of this other stuff. And MTV was particularly good with get, get, letting us see a little more international. Uh, radio stations were playing the top 100 back then. and uh, If you're lucky, it was usually the top 20 with, you know, some of the t- 21 to 40 in light rotation. If you heard anything beyond, anything from 41 to 100, it was... It was well, rough. and I think so too. But it's actually much more stricter than it than it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, now, if you listen to the music, you can you can hear the same song played every hour. Yes, it's back, awful. Back then, we had a lot, and I think, like you said, because of of MTV, there was a lot more focus on the music being our structure, and. Um, and, and and not just that, but you know, USA for Africa and all that other stuff, which sure. was directly involved with music again. Yeah, it 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 was our lives, and I think that added for a lot more flexibility in what you were hearing. Sure. And um, but but yeah, where you said MTV, that did that that would that would give us a new song that that you know from from the other side of the ocean and 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 we we would be introduced to that where maybe our radio regular radio broadcast was not covering that yes so live aid uh in in case you're you're tuning in and like you kind of remember live aid we're going to give you just a little bit of background so originally uh bob geldoff was watching uh a documentary or something on TV and they're showing these starving kids in, in, in Africa, in Ethiopia. And it really touched his heart and he got all of, you know, being Bob Geldof was the lead singer for the Boomtown Rats, which we mentioned earlier. If you're in the U S you would have no idea who these guys were if it weren't for MTV. So he had got all of his, his friends together and they recorded Do They Know It's Christmas, which you guys hear every year at Christmas. Some of you love it. Some of you hate it. It has a soft spot in my heart. I love that song. <laughs> so it's, you know, to me, it's like a lot of these people that I that I just loved. Uh, Paul Young, uh, Bono, Sting, Simon LeBon. Oh, yeah. Some of these people that I just, you know, these are bands I was listening to back then are all together on this, this song, which was really a great event. And it sold... Millions. It instantly went to number one in in England, and it went up. I I believe it only got to thirteen in the U.S., but it still was, was a big hit, and everyone knew what it was. And MTV played it every hour on the hour. So with that, it spawned uh, a lot of copycats. Um, most notably, uh, We Are the World here in the United States, where Michael Jackson, uh, Lionel Richie got all these people together after the Grammy Awards in February and recorded We Are the World. Yeah, the USA for Africa. Correct. And that, of course, went to number one in like two weeks. And that was a huge, huge seller. And so with that, Canada did one. The heavy metal guys did one. Uh, just about every country did something. And it kind of, the momentum was really building towards this concert event and so they secured Wembley Stadium in in London and JFK Stadium in Philadelphia uh, Wembley Stadium held 72,000 people and uh, JFK Stadium in Philly 
uh, it had 89,484 people. So these places are completely sold out. And this was uh, tremendous because there were not only these two concerts, but in uh, Russia, Canada, Japan, Yugoslavia, Austria, Australia, and West Germany, these people also held concerts at the same time. And I could remember uh, NXS coming on via satellite, which was great because I was a huge NXS fan. I still am. I, they're one of my favorite 80s bands. So it all brought us to this day. Yeah. And as we, you know, kind of peel the banana here talking about uh, Live Aid, and we're going to, what we thought would be a good thing is, is if we came up with a, a you know me, <laughs> we have a top 10 list. Uh, so we're going to do a list of our favorite. Um, our 10 most memorable Live Aid moments. And within those moments, other moments are going to come out. So there's going to be a lot of things we can do. So before we get into that, Tim, is there anything we need to add before we start getting on with the countdown? Well, with Gildoff, remember that we go back all the way to Band-Aid with him. Yes. Um, Gildoff was uh, considered a has-been. He was yeah. considered desperate to try to keep himself uh, with any fame. I mean, we had a... Uh, one thing that wasn't mentioned was the wall. Oh um, yeah, yeah, I forgot. Yes, he was in the wall, <clears throat> Floyd. Yes, but he was he was kind of this obscurity. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was uh, known for you know basically foul language, mm-hmm. and 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 someone that that people would inherently um, not really trust. They'd always think he had something going on. Right. Um, he actually went to Ethiopia mm-hmm. and um, got to see. Um, I would say not the uh, not the honor, but the experience to see these starving people, and um, he um, he basically why he was there, um, a girl and their brother, um, uh, basically who were starving outside, died during the day of his visit. Mm. He saw them alive, and then he heard later that day they were gone. Yeah, um, he was also someone who was. Um, courageous enough to stand before the leader of Ethiopia and uh, I can't say the word that he said mm-hmm. but um, basically it was a it was very shocking and something that um, you wouldn't say to a dictator right um, which he uh, which he he basically said the, the man when he had a cause mm-hmm. he was rock solid with it very passionate and so and so I'd like to lay that out as we go into live aid and just sure. have that known good. Thank you very much. I I hadn't heard the story about the the children dying while he was there. That that uh, that, that adds a lot of um, a lot of I don't know oomph behind what we're talking about. So um, without further ado, uh, let's get into our top ten. Number ten. Number ten. So before we get into number ten, um, we originally had a number ten, which was status quo. Uh, opening Live Aid with their song Rockin' All Over the World. The only reason that would have been in our top ten is because uh, it was the opening. Like, it's about noon in England, 7 a.m. in the U.S., and they have this band open. I didn't think it was particularly great, but uh, it, it kicked off, so just for the experience alone was good for me. So the actual number ten 
that we went with here is um, the Who's performance. Yes, the Who's performance was um, very eventful for the band, especially this being their uh, reunion. Uh, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, and the Who were all doing their reunions for uh, for it, mostly because Bob Geldof said, um, if you guys are deciding not to do uh, Live Aid, um, think about what Live Aid's doing, and then thinking of, think to yourself, why aren't you doing it? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of bands came on board. Pete Townsend was reluctant to... Uh, to step on board, but he said that uh, Bob Geldof basically um, caught him up, and um, uh, as close as I can quote it, he says Bob Geldof told him, if the Who appears, we know we will get an additional million pounds of revenue. And he said that 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 was enough to make him go in. But as soon as the Who got their chance to perform, which they they, uh, performed theirs at um, at, uh, 7.59 in Britain and 2.59 over here in America... The satellite feed went out. Yes. And it was during my generation. The world lost two songs. Uh, uh two songs of the of them performing. It was uh My Generation followed by Pinball Wizard. And finally people uh the the world was able to come back in to uh see their performance of uh of Love Rain Over Me and um and Won't Get Fooled Again. Now, during Won't Get Fooled Again, um the um uh, unfortunately, Roger Daughtry was not really um, had not really got to go over the material much, and he kind of drops out in the middle of the song, starts looking at the drummer, and so we get a bit of instrumental for "Won't Get Fooled Again." Um, but because uh, of all those things that kind of happened to the Who, the twenty-minute light turns on, telling them you got to stop right in the middle of "Won't Get Fooled Again." So Pete Townsend, in Pete Townsend style, takes his boot and smashes the red light. Nice. And then now, I didn't know that. Yeah, that, that is that's very. Again, we can't see it. He puts on <laughs> he puts on an extended ending to the song as well. Just to he's like, you're <laughs> going to really shut that. down the Who? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know there there are there's there are little things like that sprinkled throughout. Which one of the things that really because I was a fan of this guy kind of mm, I don't say yeah it brought me the wrong way it's adamant oh yes so uh again early MTV I I'd heard of Adam and the Ants short you know probably a year or so before MTV came out but never really heard any of their music had no access to it the radio stations weren't playing it there was no place to see this stuff so MTV comes out I'm introduced to Adam and the Ants and and just absolutely loved them so Adam Ant goes solo. He does his uh, his solo album came out in late eighty, uh, probably mid eighty three, and he was uh, he was becoming pretty big here in the states, and uh, you know with Goody Two Shoes, and then the Strip album came out after that, and so he was he was a pretty decent star, and um, when Live Aid first was a concept, Bob Geldof went to Adam Ant and asked him to play, and Adam Ant was not really overly excited about it and uh the the way it was positioned to him was i I don't know how many people i can get and i gotta have somebody that that is going to draw some people in so he agreed to do it so the funny twist was by the time that the concert was about to happen we've got a led zeppelin reunion we've got a who reunion 
We've got, you know, U2 is there. You know, there's all of these huge bands. And Adam Ant is not, he becomes more of an afterthought. And so they were going to pull him. And the record label said, well, if you pull Adam Ant, then you don't get Sting either. Uh, uh, and so they so. they let him go out. He does one song, which is Viva La Rock. He did a great job. But that was it. Like a lot of these guys got two to three songs. He got one. And uh, he was kind of, you know, he was a little miffed by that because of, you know, the way it was presented. And he uh, has a new album coming out. Right. It's like people could have, you know, if he had stuck around, maybe done Stand and Deliver or Goody Two Shoes or some of these other songs, people also knew that would kind of help him. Uh, but, it, you know, it, it's kind of like he put his nose in it a little bit. And uh, he was, you know, Adam Ant, even today, uh, I saw an interview uh, a couple months ago, and he was talking about how he felt like he had gotten the shaft at Live Aid. And, Again, you're looking at some of the bands that were there. I'm looking at <clears throat> Status Quo, the Style Council, Boomtown Rats. None of these guys really had sold any records in the U.S. You would know a couple of them from MTV. Ultravox is another one. Um, these these are bands that you know, Nick Kershaw um, that people didn't really know that well. And Adam Ant is the one performer in the first four hours of the day that we'd ever even heard of <laughs> so like the the one guy that you could maybe draw some people in for you didn't use so anyhow i digress i wonder if kenny loggins also got the same deal because he only got the chance to do footloose yeah which was like at that point you know footloose was a big big hit the summer before so in 1984 it's a big hit by 1985 it had been played out, and yeah, true. Like he didn't have any new music then. It's like, why you got Kenny Loggins there? Huh. Why why don't you just go ahead and let him do "I'm All Right"? Yeah, or you know, one of these other songs. Or I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I was just trying well, to think. I was trying to think of other Kenny Loggins songs he could have done, but you know, he there. Yeah, time constraints. Uh, David Bowie had to give up a song, I think, uh, to allow a video to be played. Dancing in the street. Uh. <laughs> Which is him and that's that video debuted that day and uh that's funny story about the video they uh they had complimented it saying it only took a couple hours to make but it would later be uh criticized by people who said it looks like it only took a couple hours to make <laughs> <laughs> wow rough stuff so uh do we have anything else on the who um no basically uh that was um and that was the uh the presentation um um it was um there was a there was a lot of great performances and there was a lot of little trip ups remember that this was the first time something of this size was was being done a lot of things to go wrong yes um if you remember paul mccartney's uh, vocal audio got cut um during the song let it be yes i mean this um, which was supposed to be a monumental time i mean Paul McCartney is British royalty. Right, right. <laughs> and Sir let it be, Paul McCartney. Yeah, exactly. And Let It Be is an iconic Beatles song and is strategically put at this moment of the show. Perfect time for fate. Exactly. I know um, I was, Duran uh, Duran had some problems with their set. Yes. Uh, I guess the in-ear monitors were kind of messed up. And uh, you know, there's some things with the and we got a pitchy and, performance. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's a lot, a lot of little things happen like that. Stuff that's 
absolutely uh yeah you know great i remember so all right so that was number our number 10 moment and we're we're going strong here that was the who number nine our number nine moment uh mick jagger and tina turner two icons yeah of you know 60s 70s 80s music yes um are there together and uh to me that was a huge moment now what i remember is mick wanting to sex up the performance a little bit yes and Tina wasn't having any of it. Like, I don't want you and yourself all slithering on me. And so a lot of the performance is her kind of getting away from him was legit. <laughs> all you had to do was watch. Yes. And every thought, everything, you, you kind of knew what was going on. He began to strip his outfit before Tina Turner came out. During the uh, first couple songs he did, he would... He lost the uh, blue jacket he was wearing, and then he uh, took off the uh, yellow overshirt, turned it like a helicopter over his head, and flung it to the stage. Yeah. So he was already down to his purple pants, light purple pants, excuse me, yeah. and blue t-shirt. When Which you could only wear in the 80s. Yes. 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 You, uh, him and Don Johnson. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> yeah, when she came out and they were, they got through the, the, the first song, State of Shock, um, and then they uh, they were um, going. Um, it's only rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And as they were doing that, he um, he actually took her body. Uh, he took her by the waist and thrust her up against him real quick. Yeah. And you could see the initial reaction of her, and you were like, Tina didn't know that was coming. Yeah. And um, she she played along, but you can tell she was uncomfortable and kind of get off of me. Yeah, sort of we'll thing. we'll perform from ten feet away. Yeah. And uh, social distancing before it was. A there you go. There social is. distancing for a for a different reason. That's right. And he uh, he took off the blue t shirt and he came up close on her and uh, that is what sent her and and I'll say she didn't move off stage she performed off stage. Yes. And uh, it became clear that uh, when they gave him the yellow overshirt again that he had been asked to put it back on. Yeah. And so I think that with the ego that Mick Jagger had, when she came back on and he uh, he got close to her again, he just ripped the skirt right off her and said, I can take this to another level. Yeah. <laughs> what a dummy. <laughs> I wonder what the band thought. I mean, the Daryl Hall and John Oates Orchestra playing behind them. I wonder yeah. if like, is every Rolling Stone concert like this? Yeah. Daryl and John don't do this. <laughs> So yeah, that was uh, yeah that 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 was I, I, again things that stick out of the day that that really sticks out for me. So um, anything else you have on that? Um, no, no, basically that, and really that 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 was the thing that, that particularly stuck. Tina Turner wouldn't talk about it for years. In fact, right. she wrote a book recently, and I believe she addresses it there. But I unfortunately don't know what she had to say. So here's a question I have for you. Maybe you know this. Maybe you don't. Um. Maybe I used to know this and forgot, but Mick is singing with Tina Turner. They sing State of Shock, which is a big hit for Mick Jagger with the Jacksons. Well, Mm -hmm. let's face it, Mick Jagger and Michael Jackson. Yes. So Michael Jackson, biggest star on the planet in 1985. Like, you know, he was still up there. Iconic. Thriller, the Jacksons' victory tour, the whole thing. 
So, do you know why Michael Jackson was not involved with Live Aid? I, I, I still don't know the details of that, but I also know that Prince was not there as well. He did make a video that would be released later doing the same type of message. Right. But, uh, um, in fact, Saturday Night Live, was it Saturday Night Live who did a, who did a parody song on Prince where uh, he was singing something like, I am the world. I am the children. Yes. <laughs> so no, I actually do not know why why he wasn't there unless his uh, unless his tour kept him from it. I I can't I can't imagine why. Again, even though like he didn't have a Mick Jagger type ego, still he never shied away from the spotlight. Yeah. Whenever there was a chance to exploit his brand or whatever, he was mm-hmm. never ashamed of it. So I was, you know, I kind of, I wonder myself, what happened? Why wasn't he there? But uh, maybe we will find out someday. Well, he got to sing every chorus of uh, of uh, We Are the World. So. Yes, he did. Which, you know, eh, I liked We Are the World as a song, but uh, there was a little too much Michael in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know. You like, could thank Quincy like, for like that. My, yeah, my all-time <laughs> favorite vocalist, period, is Steve Perry. Like, he gets a blurb. Yeah. Like, why does Steve Perry get a blurb, and we hear yeah. Michael on and on and on. We hear a lot of Bruce. We hear a lot of... Um, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. It's like, at, at this point of his career, nobody wanted to hear Bob Dylan. <laughs> but there he was. Well, Bob Dylan sounds like Bob Dylan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could never figure that out. It was the sixties. A lot of acid was being tripped. So, <laughs> but yeah, a lot of great performers, and even Ray Charles was part of the extended choruses. Yeah, but uh, for the single hit, uh, even that was kind of cut out. Yeah, but you know, I could I could say for like Ray Charles, yeah, let's hear more of him. Yeah. Oh yeah. Love so, love Ray Charles. Yeah. So, all right. So yeah, that that was number nine. Mick Jagger and Tina Turner. Number eight. That brings us to number eight, which is uh, Hollow Notes and the Temptations performing together. Yeah, that was that was quite the event. Yeah, um, the only reason I included this here is just because I'm I'm a I'm a big Hollow Notes fan, uh, always have been, and the Temptations are were an iconic, um, you know, '60s Motown group. Yeah. And uh, this is kind of a comeback in a way for them as they did an album, uh, Live at the Apollo, together. It was more of an EP. I think there were uh, probably six songs on it. Okay. But so it was it was really cool seeing seeing them perform together. So you know, nothing huge, no controversy there. Um, Hall and Oates uh, were, uh, again, they're the biggest selling duo of all time, yeah. along with one of the biggest selling, you know, uh, acts of uh of the of the you know whatever <laughs> so looking back on their hits the ones that they performed that night out of touch and man eater uh-huh. i do i don't think either of those stand out as among their biggest yeah. hits but it was their hits at the time yeah out of touch was uh was was from i think it, uh, i want to say the big bam boom album but don't quote me on that but uh, that was uh, that was a. I remember that song was was popular at that time, 
Maneater was probably a couple years old at that yes. time. Yes, I believe and so. And so, I, I again, you're getting some of these bands that are kind of like between albums. Like, uh, you know, they they weren't, um, like, with, uh, I'm sorry, Out of Touch, they were just, I think they was just getting released. So they were able to promote it a little bit. But some of these bands, like Duran Duran, were you know the, this was their current album that they oh, were yeah. that they were yeah. playing on the radio so it was really something that uh it was it was really good so 80 1985 to me was not one of the strongest years for music in the 80s um 80 82 83 84 were really strong 86 87 were pretty strong but 85 was kind of like a tweener year and some of the bands that uh that were starting to come on at the time uh, like Tears for Fears, for example, like they like everybody wants to rule the world was was a hit in the summer of '85. So you're talking some of these bands that weren't included here that would have I think would have added to the event, especially a band like Tears for Fears, who this is their second album. They would have been kind of coming up like this is an up and coming band. Like we're, we're, we'll talk later about U two, but um, with U two, uh, they were again a band that was just on the cusp of becoming the biggest band in the world. So uh, I don't want to ruin our whole future yeah. part of the cast now. Just in but, case I might be discussed. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was uh, it was kind of a perfect storm for them. So yeah, there were there were some some tweeners there that you know could have yeah. you know could have benefited some, uh, but. Anyhow, that was it. Uh, Hollow Notes and Temptations. Great moment. Um, there is uh, one thing that I want to say. I thought it was the audience response to the Hollow Notes performance mm-hmm. increased with the arrival of Eddie Kendricks and them. David Ruffin. Yeah, and David Ruffin. And then when they performed, it it um I think what it did is it hit another part of the audience. Yeah. And started raising them up. And I got to say, it was a really incredible scene to see them do the the temptations lineup yes they were they were doing the little dance moves the choreography Uh, yes so it was awesome to see some of the predecessors there yeah and which you know i'm glad you brought that up i think we should have seen more of of that kind of thing i know we had uh you know some of the bands there were like the beach boys and things like that um but how much cooler could it have been if we had a little more a uh, little more rub there you know sort of like uh like american idol will do towards the end of the contest oh yeah they'll yeah. have like you know some of these these bands will come up and sing like remember when adam lambert was on there and queen came out and played with him now how cool would it be if uh, you know you can have more of the Temptations Hall and Oates kind of thing, yeah. So say that say that you had um, oh Neil Young come out with Tom Petty, nah, you, see, yeah. that, you know stuff like that. That I think that they had some opportunities. I, I think that if uh, they had to do it over again, I think they would maybe do a little bit more of that kind of stuff. I think that because of the quick planning that had to be gone into Live Aid, that a lot of a lot of bands were just locked out because they couldn't. They were either in a recording project or they were uh, on on tour. Right. And so Live Aid came, which I think that a lot of them, once they knew how big the audience would be, would have loved to have been in it. Uh, but and but I but I know that I hear stories that they got locked out. Yeah. 
So, yeah, um, that's uh, that's good. I'm having fun. You having fun? Oh yeah, oh, absolutely. Great. Awesome. All right. So uh, that brings us now to I believe we're down to number. Um, coming up on number seven. Number seven. So at the time of uh, Tim and I deciding what we're going to talk about on the show, I, I just shot him a, a list of 10, um, 10 moments for us that really stuck out of Live Aid. And he responded back. He's like, those are very similar. Like, we're almost on the same page. He said, you yeah. should have mentioned The Who. I'm like... Oh, how did I forget that? So that's how come the Who bumped into number ten because I'd simply forgot about him before. But this next one, this number seven that we're going to be talking about here, uh, I did not realize at the time, but the Cars are Tim's all-time favorite band. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, I'd say for 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 modern music, the Cars is. That is great. Um, so when I first like I had heard of the cars as a teenager, probably when I was fourteen ish, thirteen, fourteen, had heard of the cars. Like I I knew the song Cars by Gary Newman. I saw there was a band called The Cars. And in my young thirteen, fourteen year old mind, it's like, oh, they're ripping off the Gary Newman song, not knowing that they were a band before the song was a thing. I'm, Again, I didn't know anything. I was young. I made the connection, too. Did you? Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. So uh, I, I had heard of them and kind of always wanted to hear them. Uh, I'm listening to Top 40 Radio. I wouldn't listen to any of the rock stations. So I had no idea who they were. And uh, do you remember the TV show Fridays? Yes. Yeah, so Fridays, in case you don't know was uh, ABC's answer to Saturday Night Live. It was actually on, guess what, Friday Friday, nights. And I thought it was funnier. It was edgier. um, It was more um, impromptu comedy. And kind of irreverent, but a ton of fun. And the Cars performed Touch and Go on Fridays. And I went out the very next day and bought the 45. Like, I couldn't wait to go get that single. And then and then I'm talking to a girl at school, and she's like, oh, I love the cars. She, showed, she let me borrow the Candio album. And I'm like, oh, where have these guys been my whole life? So, so that's my first exposure to the cars. And I think you are definitely talking an 80s thing. Yeah, we celebrated that. We yeah, you hear the song, you go to the record store and get the forty five. Yep. You 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 listen to the album, you sit down and listen to the album. Yeah, uh, that that was that was our thing. The first time I heard the Cars was I heard the intro to I guess I I I, I guess that's just what I needed. Oh yeah, and the song uh, borrowed the intro from the song Yummy Yummy. An older I never song. really put those two together. And so I thought that I was hearing on the rock station this old, corny tune. Mm-hmm. And then it turned into uh, uh, the the Cars tune, and I was blown away. That I whole, have to I don't mind you coming here and wasting all my time. I mean, I was like, that is so bold. That's so arrogant. I got to hear the rest. You know, I think that's going to be our outro song this week. Oh, that would be well, excellent. By the way, in case you guys, we'll talk about it a little bit more towards the end, but 
Uh, Tim actually composed the music for our intro this week. So, pretty cool, huh? I hope it went well. <laughs> it did for me. I don't care about you know what these people <laughs> think. They don't. They don't. They don't. Of course, when we're talking about, I guess uh, we are talking about a late nineteen seventies release. Yes, but it it was it, one thing that I loved about them from you know again first hearing Touch and Go is like they had this futuristic super cool like you felt like you were you were cooler listening to the cars like all right this band gets me yes <laughs> and that's because they did stand alone yeah their style was the cars yeah nothing like them and you actually if you go and get the anthology cd which i have you get it all and you get the whole course i think that what um Door to Door, which was their the worst of the albums, I loved. I loved it too. Very underappreciated. Yes. Uh, Leave Heart... or Stay is one of my favorite yes. car songs. Yes, <laughs> so, yes. Um, me, me and me and Tim have realized that we are like brothers from another mother. I think so. And, and well, let's back up a little bit here. So before we start going on and on about the cars, so I've known Tim for a few years now. Um, yeah, we are friends through a mutual friend, Jason, who's been on here a couple of times, and Matt. Um, so we kind of know each other through them. And when I was talking to Jason about future podcasts, I said, you know, this summer I'm going to do one on Live Aid. He's like, well, you should ask Tim to join you. He's, you know, he, that's like his favorite day in music. Oh, yeah. I'm like, okay. We, so, you know, where I have like Matt and John and Kevin and Art and Randy and some of these guys who I've known years and know real well and have a huge past with. I didn't really have that with Tim, but the more we're talking here, it's like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, it's like sort of like a couple Jedi sitting around and talking about you know the Force. Ah, uh, I, I, I think so. I so totally okay, agree. continue. <laughs> All right. Well, well, you know that Heartbeat City was their most innovative. Yes. Also, most technologically challenging. Which albums. is technologically is a hard word to say. Yes. yes. As a matter of fact, I just tripped right over it. <laughs> Forgive that a mouth of mine. Uh, but it also made them hard to do the concerts. Yes. Um, so uh, at Live Aid, I think they got to do their, um, they, they got to do several. Uh, I think they, they basically covered the Cars debut albums hits as well as the Heartbeat City hit. Yeah. And they actually did. The Heartbeat City Which title. surprised me at the time. Because, well, I, I'm looking at the, the Live Aid uh, CD box set that was released. And Just What I Needed and Heartbeat City are the two songs that are on here. And Heartbeat City is another one of my favorite car songs. It's such a cool, yes. moody song. It was originally called Jackie. They decided to change the Which name. Which sounds like City. that fits, yeah. yeah for and the, the word course. and the name Jackie's in there. So I've got a I've got a playlist called "That's What She Said," which is all <laughs> which is all. <laughs> the whole playlist is uh, women's names, you know, like uh, Alia is one of them. Oh, help, help me, Rhonda by the Beach Boys. So you <laughs> kind of get where I'm going. And I've got that on there. A good excuse to put a car song on there, and B because it was originally called Jackie. And I think the demo version. I know I'm getting too nerdy. I apologize. Oh, no, 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 I'm following. People at home, <laughs> if you listen to the podcast, you know how I am. <laughs> so carry on. <laughs> One of the things I loved about the performance before Ben Orr uh, performed "Drive," mm-hmm. the between the songs, um, the drummer 
started to play the drums as if you're watching a fireworks show. Mm-hmm. And you can hear the popping and everything. Yeah. And then there was like the a release of uh, the kind of a steam sound. It, it must have been coming from the synths. And then all of a sudden goes right into the uh, drive. And the audience reaction was just powerful. You could tell that drive already had touched uh, the the fans. Yeah. And I think it's because it touched the fans off the radio. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that was one of its... Uh, one of the, the the biggest moments. I think that was the performance of all of theirs that they performed. Yeah, I I would agree. Um, it, it it's kind of cool when you're when you're seeing a band live, and they they mix up what you're you've come very familiar with. Like um, I was watching. Uh, if any of you guys happen to have caught this um, this week on uh, ESPN, they played an Eagles concert. On ESPN huh. with Vince Gill and um, uh, Deacon Fry. You know, oh, okay. The, the newer version of the Eagles. For one, it was phenomenal. But uh, one thing that I've noticed, and I've having seen the Eagles are my all-time favorite band. Um, but having seen them live once and seeing a couple concert DVDs, um, when they do Hotel California, there is an intro with like trumpets and things. Yes. I've and, seen and it it's, it's like oh, wow. and, and if and if you don't know that's coming, and if you're hearing that for the first time, you're like, okay, there's these trumpets, and then they go into the song. It is amazing with that trumpet oh, intro. Oh my gosh! And then Journey does a thing um, with "Love and Touch and Squeezing," which is a longer guitar intro, and then that famous nice. rhythm and beat and intro that we all know. So the Cars doing that with the synth and the the fireworks drums leading into drive i mean as a fan i you know i marked out (laughs) it's like oh my goodness you know you you know you're cool you lose your cool when you see stuff like that oh my goodness i think it was a great way to draw them into drive i think that it was grabbing their attention because everyone's like what what is this what are they playing is this a new song and then drive hits and i think that it was such a perfect way to grab them that that's why they got that response oh yeah i i would agree and again see and here and this one of the reasons i put this on here had i known they were your your favorite band i would have put it on there just for that reason <laughs> but because they again they're one of my favorites um one of the things as as a big fan of music is I, I liked back in those days being introduced to new bands. So like earlier in the show, we're, we're seeing like uh, um, Nick Kershaw, who I'd never had only heard of, but seen for the first time at Live Aid. Style Council, yeah. uh, Status Quo. Like even though I di- didn't really feel Status Quo too too much, Style Council I kind of liked. So I, like I'm enjoying seeing some of these bands for the first time. So again, I try to to look at myself, or not at myself. I try to look through the lens of somebody else seeing these bands for the first time. And over in England, like the Cars, never really, they never really did anything. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Like Drive was probably their Drive, and I think Drive and Just What I Needed are their two biggest, or maybe it's yes. my best friend's girls, girl. Uh, it was th- those like maybe hit top fifteen, yeah, ish, but was... nothing else charted. So like they're seeing the cards, which which we had a whole conversation on this last week or the week before. 
with me and Kevin. We were talking about the one-hit wonders. Um, we were talking about how, like, how did the cars not hit bigger in England? They had that new wave sound. They had the, you know, the the, the cool fifties uh, type guitars. Like they 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 just had that that complete sound. Like, how in the world did they not? Is is it is it radio programmers? Is it the is it the the record labels like why didn't why weren't those guys any bigger so I'm, I'm watching Live Aid um, and, and thinking okay I'm in England I'm seeing these guys for the first time what do I think and I'm blown away <laughs> of course because I loved them anyway but um, uh, here I was I had this this book out here it was a fan book uh, of Live Aid it's uh, it's a lot of pictures and things like that and there's you know some articles and talks about the bands and what time they came on and things like that I remember getting this book at Readmore Bookstore in Grove City uh, the day it came out. Like, oh. I knew it was coming out, so I bought it, and you know I still have it to this day. But one of the things that cracked me up is uh, they called the Cars a heavy metal band from America. Yes, they did. I'm like, Judas <clears throat> Priest, Black Sabbath... They the were, cars. <laughs> they even adopted that. A lot of these that. things just don't belong here. Yeah. yeah. They even adopted the cars on the radio that way. Yeah. They were part of the, they were part of a harder rock than it sounds like they were supposed to be with. Yeah. I think that the thing that might have um, stopped. I noticed that when a band comes and they have a style that's unique. Yeah. It's it's almost hard to that for the industry to give them an acceptance. Right. Right. But. To hear the cars, you know it's the cars. Whether, you know, Best Friends Girl, Moving in Stereo, Magic, um, Tonight She Comes, all of this, and you hear that distinct sound of the cars. I think that no matter what happened, charts-wise, I think that the band became iconic just because of that sound. Yes, I totally agree. And there's many, like, bands after them, like, even uh, up to even 10 or 15 years ago, you get bands like uh, Fountains of Wayne yeah. uh, just try to emulate that car sound which you know good luck <laughs> but but it was it was great and you know again I don't understand why they weren't bigger in England but uh, anyone that watched them that day you cannot deny just how great musicians those guys were awesome songwriters the now keep in mind lyrical content they're just great their music did get into the movies that's uh, true. The, the legendary film Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That one scene, yeah, yes, uses moving in stereo. <laughs> yes, that that uh, video store said you know the the tapes would you know freeze up on that time because uh, they were so worn out at that point from being paused. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I think they were also in Last American Virgin. Uh, Shake It Up was in that movie. Yeah, and uh, let's see, I think they were in the Sure Thing as well. Um, I think uh, um, you might think was in that movie. So, yeah. Oh, I learned a little bit here. Movie makers love the cars, just like we do. So, man, that maybe could have been our number one. <laughs> <laughs> should have been, but. Yeah, it should have been. Yeah. Number one's coming. Uh, but for uh, all intents and purposes right now, uh, the cars were number seven. Number six. And our number six moment from Live Aid for us is uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers performance, which is different for me and, and it, as it was for Tim. For me, it was, again, one of these 
obvious, definite American bands yes. that some Brits are being exposed to for the first time. And and one thing I have found, um, I, I think there there may have been a little bit of a biased prejudice against the the American artists. Because like Michael Jackson, huge, you know, around the world. But a, a lot of people, uh, a, a lot of the Brits just really took a lot of pride in the oh. British invasion. And then the second British invasion in the early 80s. And seeing these American bands um, uh, kind of, you know, on, on the telly for the first time, uh, I think would have been uh, a little shocking for some of them to actually know, hey, there are some, these American bands that, they, you know, they, they start looking into them and say, hey, these guys have sold millions of records. And uh, Tom Petty had come out singing American Girl. <laughs> that that was the in the face. Yes, they. Uh, I think that he did that because he was like, "Okay, go home, Wimberley. We got it now." Yeah, yeah the, the big boys are here. Now. That's right. So yeah, I think that's exactly why American Girl was pulled in at the last minute. Nice. So uh, you said there was a little bit of controversy here. Yes, during the early part of his performance, the camera was uh, got the chance to pick him up. Uh, Giving the bird to someone who was off stage, <laughs> <laughs> in true Tom Petty fashion. Yeah, so that is that. That's great. Um, I, I just you know Tom Petty, rest in peace. Uh, I always uh, admired him, loved the music. Uh, Refugee was also sung that day. Um, again, very. These are blatant American sounds here. Yes, there is. There is. The influences are blues and American rock and roll here. There are no, there are no synthesizers here. That, well, there there could be, but like in the background, like they weren't the main instrument, right? Oh, not for Tom like, Petty. Like, that's yeah, for these sure. were no Pet Shop Boys. Yes, <laughs> this was Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and you know, not I don't have a ton to say about them other than it was just memorable to see them in that. Well, I I, I like what you said about the grit mm-hmm. because that Tom Petty was a great representative for the reb. For the rebellion, <laughs> another word I'm having problems with. For the rebellion of uh, of of American rock and roll music, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, and I think that his band performing to kick off the solo American now perform uh, show mm-hmm. was was just a perfect flavor of that American rock. Yeah, yep, agreed. And again, uh, there are one of these these bands that uh we've always adored uh, being able to to finally show off yeah so that was good stuff my so. favorite song refuge yes all right um and that that does it for our um for the the bottom five ten through six so uh we're gonna break uh here for a brief time out and then we'll be back with our top five get your first taste now at mcdonald's look who's got the new taste of coke big mac has it waiting for you with two all beef patty special sauce lettuce cheese coca-cola is making its new debut get your first taste Ooh, what a kick put it together with a big mac yeah coke is in it's a good time get your first taste now at mcdonald's Thank you for listening to Living in the 80s. We want to take this opportunity to thank all of those that helped make this possible. 
first and foremost, we want to thank Anchor for providing this platform for us to share this podcast. We also want to thank Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, TunedIn Radio, and about a dozen others. We also want to give a special thank you to Star1079.com and Roundtown Radio, where you can hear this podcast weekly. Also, be sure to check us out at our website at livinginthe80s.us and, of course, on our Facebook page, Living in the 80s. Thanks, and back to the show. Number five. Number five on our list is uh, Sting's solo performance, and he sings with Phil Collins, and he sings again with Dire Straits. So Sting was a pretty big deal. Now, along with The Cars, another one of my favorite 80s bands has always been The Police. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Ghost in the Machine and Synchronicity is my favorites. My my favorite, it, it's tough for me because it depends on my mood. Because sometimes Zenyatta Mandata is my favorite. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, so, but uh, yeah, I could listen to The Police about any time and just... You know, know every word, listen to every every verse and chorus, and just just be completely um, enthralled. In fact, Roxanne, that's where he started. That's where he started. Yeah. Yes, Sting starting off with Roxanne, and you know, I would have loved to have seen the Police together that day. Yes, like yeah. what can they got together? I, I think I think I did hear somewhere where they tried to get them but they couldn't get along enough to to do it which is very sad you know get together for a day i mean if if um led zeppelin can do it you know you're not as big as led zeppelin (laughs) (laughs) that's true (laughs) get over yourself and just do it boys but yes sting has always kind of been known um i don't want to say as being pretentious but just really controlling of the situation that he's in Almost like the thinking man's rock. Yeah, yeah. If you you wouldn't know that he was college educated and he was a, a math teacher at one time. Yes. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, he starts off with Roxanne. Yeah, and then uh, followed by Driven to Tears. Now remember that that this is being um, duetted with Phil Collins here, and um, then they go through uh, a song they had recorded together, "Long Long Way to Go," which is on the. Um, face value album. Yes. Which I, uh, I love. No, no jacket required. Okay, I'm sorry. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, then uh, lastly, um, Every Breath You Take, which is the uh, iconic piece. Yes. So, and it was a very, it was a slowed down version of it. Yes. So it was, it was not the typical, you know, bass guitar driven version of Every Breath You Take we're used to. And it sounded nothing like Every Breath You Take 86. <laughs> so it was a completely different uh, version. And Sting, you know, he's a he's a genius. Oh, yeah. And uh, just hearing him just do his thing on there. Again, he's one of the biggest draws there. I mean, if you could, you know, at that time, you know, if you could get Sting to the show, like, oh, yeah. you've done something. Now, you, this actually follows what Phil Collins had talked about, what he wanted to do at Live Aid. Mm-hmm. He says, I want to perform with the other bands. Yeah. And uh, and this was a good start. Plus, I think this was one of the only ways that he'd get to perform in both places. Yes, exactly. And what you got to remember at this time is the No Jacket Required album was 
I don't want to say for sure, but it was it could be or was right around the number one album in the U.S. at this time. So Phil was as big as Phil was going to get yes. at that time. And not only that, but he was producing lots of people. Like um, he he worked with uh, Daryl Hall. He worked with Eric Clapton. He worked with Frida Lindstedt. I know there's something going on. The whole drums, the background, that's Phil. So he was doing lots of stuff. Like everybody was loving Phil. He was acting. He was in that movie Buster. So he, like Phil was everywhere and uh well we'll we'll talk about him in a little bit but um uh, just uh, s- keeping on staying and he comes back out with dire straits singing money for nothing yes which that was the like talking about catching lightning in a bottle like this was dire straits not they never really went away but they were not superstars in the US yes until I the brothers in arms album came out yes. and money for nothing was all over MTV, all over the radio. And then you hear Sting on there. He's a guy that sings I Want My MTV. And uh, and and singing the background vocals on that. I mean, that's phenomenal. And then you back that up with the computer animated video, which, uh, which kind of brought CGI into the mainstream. Yeah. And, it, and if you look at that video now, it still looks really cool today, yeah. I think. But at the time, it was so groundbreaking. And um, it's nothing you expect out of Dire Straits because I'm thinking, you know, uh, Sultans of Swing, yes, uh, Skate Away, more like, their flavor, more their traditional. Flavor. Yeah, like we're not going to do anything that's going to, you know, intentionally be a hit. And they come out with this. Um, I was reading a, a book entitled "I Want My MTV." Um, it talks about the history of MTV, and one of the things they're talking about on there is how some bands refuse to do videos and embrace where music was going like they wanted nothing to do with it but then you got bands like Dire Straits like Tom Petty like ZZ Top yeah. these bands that traditionally were radio bands were going you know if we want to continue to sell we got to start doing music videos and seeing Mark Knopfler like doing these these really super cool videos and i mean think about it mark knopfler at that time 35 40 years old balding is suddenly cool thought yeah Yeah. let's put a headband on him and in the video make it neon yes so (laughs) not to mention the riff of money for nothing oh my gosh incredible it is it is so again it, it was a great moment for me to you know see sting doing all this stuff but you know to, it, it spawns off the dire straits and the whole thing with Phil. So, uh, anything else on on Sting there? Or if we if we exhausted that? Yeah, part? I think I, I I think we have. I, uh, honestly, it was just an incredible performance. Three three uh, artists together. If you conclude Dire Straits as one of the artists. Yep. So, so all right, that was number five. Number four. So sticking with the theme, <laughs> our uh, next one, our number four uh, moment that we thought would belong here would be uh, Phil Collins playing both London and Philadelphia the same day. Same day. So uh, again, we talked before how he was all over the place. Um, we're going to say the number one album. If you want to fact check us, go ahead, but... I remember No Jacket Required. I know I called it Face Value before. Yeah. It was a previous album. 
that was a huge album. And I remember personally wearing the cassette out because I, I listened to it so <laughs> yes. much. And um, I was, again, I was doing my exterminator job, so I'm on the road all day long and, you know, listen to my tapes. <laughs> so uh, that was one I, I listened to a lot. But um, talk about um, what it meant to you to see him doing both continents. Well, Phil Collins was, uh, you know, he, he was uh, quite quite on top at the time. And just the same, even if he's going to just perform on piano, mm-hmm. was incredible. And, and he performed in the air tonight, both in London and then later. I mean, yeah, both in London and later in Philadelphia. And even to, to just hear him come to the pause where the drum would be. Mm-hmm. And uh, it w- it was intense. In fact, in um, in Philadelphia, when he got to that pause where the drum should be, you hear the audience going da dum da dum da dum. Yes, it was. Uh, it he 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 was everybody's favorite. I, I think he was at a point where it was like Phil could write nothing wrong. No, he couldn't. Until well, we'll talk about that here in a minute. <laughs> so yeah, um, Phil Collins is doing that again. Guy really put himself out there that day. Uh, again, he's not, uh, you know, just everything. You know, we don't know him personally. Do you know him personally? Uh, no, I, I, I don't know him personally either. But he's always seemed like uh, a good guy, and, and people that talk about him talk about him with great respect. And so, um, with him, uh, him doing this, it wasn't like he's trying to put himself out there, but knowing that he was one of the biggest stars in the world at that time did not shy away from chipping in and helping out yes and so. it also was a good boost for concord i think yes that's what to get across. <laughs> so many shots like him going to the to the airport getting on the concord and then flying over and landing they made such a huge deal about it. especially um again i was watching probably at this point more of the mtv feed because you know you've got the mtv vjs on there yeah. We were all, you know, we were kids. We loved those guys. They were like our friends. So, yeah, um, I would say Phil doing both continents is probably good, good for number three. Yeah. Number three. So you would think that a Led Zeppelin reunion would be the biggest event of this day. I would say going into the day, that is probably probably what they had anticipated we've got a couple things above it but um, let's talk about Led Zeppelin so in case you you know if you're listening to this and you're not totally familiar with who Led Zeppelin was maybe you've heard of them maybe you know a few songs you you're not you may not know like their place in rock history so Led Zeppelin was a super group uh, they came from a couple different bands and formed Led Zeppelin. And in the 70s, they were the biggest hard rock band. Um, they were an alternative to the 70s pop and disco songs at the time, which aren't all bad. We're not slamming that music at all. But the hard rock alternative to that um was like Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, um, those you know those harder bands, Aerosmith, um, Boston. I would put in that category, but they were kind of more on the commercial side. 
but uh, if if you were a rock fan in the 70s, you probably had a lot of Led Zeppelin music playing, either on your radio, in your tape deck, wherever you went. So in uh, October of 1980, um, John Bonham, the uh, drummer for Led Zeppelin, had passed away. And um, instead of... And, and they were on tour. I'm sorry, they were getting ready for a North American tour. And they had toyed around with idea, with the idea of getting another drummer. And now it's Led Zeppelin, so they're going to pick whoever they want. Um, they decided uh, just to disband the group versus going on. So um, December 4th, 1980, they had a press conference and said, we are you know, no longer, our hearts are too heavy, we're, we're breaking up. Fast forward to 1985. Um, people have had been wanting Le- a Led Zeppelin reunion forever. Now, during this time, John Paul Jones, the bass player, kind of went off into obscurity. Maybe he did some session work, uh, nothing of, of notoriety, but you've got Jimmy Page, who had, you know, he is uh, considered one of the greatest rock guitarists of all time. Uh, you've got him, who I know he did the thing with The Firm. He did some other stuff for, with some people. Uh, he did, uh, well, later on he did some things with David Coverdale. But um, Robert Plant did The Honey Drippers, and he did some solo stuff, of course. And so now we are at this time, and Bob Geldof gets the coup of all coups. He's getting Led Zeppelin back together. And this huge event. Enough to make the whole event. Exactly. Like, this is worth tuning in for. I remember not necessarily being a Led Zeppelin fan, because, like, I never listened to that kind of music earlier. Like, I didn't get into, like, Led Zeppelin stuff until later. But I remember, like, being very familiar with who they were. Yeah. And Robert Plant, you know, doing the solo stuff, which I knew very well. And then Jimmy Page doing The Firm, which I loved. Him and Paul Rogers from Bad Company getting together doing The Firm. So, like, I, I wanted to see this. And it was, to me, it was a great performance. But what happened? Well, um, also to answer your question about John Paul Jones, he actually started doing behind-the-scenes scoring and composition. Okay. Um, when they when they came to perform... Um, the lineup was they were going to have uh, Paul Martinez doing bass, and they had two drummers, which uh, almost looks like a sync problem right off the bat. Phil right. Collins and uh, and Tony Thompson. Uh, when they performed, the um, uh, it it depends on who you're talking to. Phil Collins would later write that it seemed like Robert Plant was on his game. Mm-hmm. that night and um and he complained that um that Jimmy Page was coming up and telling him he's knitting on the drums and he's doing fancy play that's throwing him off <laughs> and he also um took the liberty to uh, pick on Tony Thompson who said Tony Thompson was just basically taking a bold lead on the drums and uh accused Tony Thompson of trying to be the next choice for the Led Zeppelin drummer mm. but the um the performance, even when you watched it, you can see Jimmy Page actually step back to the drums. Mm-hmm. You can see Robert Plant looking back. It is not 
going with the flow that they want. Now, I myself will say that John Bonham was so in sync that he would actually even roll with the guitar riffs. Mm-hmm. And and when you had that great drummer that was that was behind you, and you know, no, I know Phil Collins played drums. I know Tony Thompson. He also did stuff for the Power Station, but. When you're backing up with someone like John Bonham's place, you, um, I think that the the sinking problem, mm-hmm. uh, as Phil Collins said, if I knew they were going to have two drummers, I would have dropped out immediately. Yeah. And like, um, why would they have needed two drummers? Why to throw it off? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's funny when, when you listen to Led Zeppelin music, and and please, kind of, if you're listening at home, kind of hear me out here, but. They didn't do any music that was so complicated that it would require having two drummers. I think, in my opinion, they had Phil Collins up there because he was the guy. You know, he was Phil. He was the name at the time. And Phil is an awesome drummer. Like, listen to any of the Genesis stuff, and that'll just... And not to defend anything, because I'm not a musician. I'm a big fan of music, though. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, hearing some of the um, the Led Zeppelin music, I mean, John Bonham was is one of the best drummers of all time, yeah. in my opinion. But I, it seems, it seems odd to me they would have two drummers. I think that Tony Thompson probably had it first, mm-hmm. and I and I think that when uh, Phil Collins came in and he wanted to go and perform, and because he was such a big name, I think they uh, they they didn't have the heart to take out. Tony Thompson, maybe Tony Thompson wasn't going to take himself out. Yeah. And so I think that they got to uh, perform together. But honestly, two drummers, it, I, I can only assign it. Uh, imagine it's going to sound like mud. You know what? I want to, I want to blame Bob Goldoff. He probably sold the idea to everybody. Oh, this would be a great mm-hmm. if we did this and that and had all you guys together. Like in his mind, maybe it was going to play out well. Yeah, maybe not. Um, again, I, I, I have a recording of them doing All My Love together which sounds fine to me but uh, i have to show it to you well so after just afterwards when they did a backstage mm-hmm. and you had robert plant and jimmy page and they were just they were like what no phil messed up and they <laughs> called him by name yeah and uh and and you know for because i think that robert plant and jimmy page they were going to have their that moment if they're if they were going to come back on the stage this was supposed to, you know, be the heavy impact. Yeah. And I think because of the the shock of just what had happened, I think that's why they they made the call keep it off the DVD. Yeah. Exactly. So, um again, I uh I I enjoyed the reunion. Enjoyed Phil Collins up there, but uh I, apparently the the artists themselves weren't weren't quite happy with it. Yeah. So, which maybe is why we don't consider that number 1. Are you saying that artists have egos? I, I, I hear they do. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, that was our, our number three moment. Number two. That brings us to number two, which is going to be the performance of U2. Um, U2, uh, I was a fan of U2 um, before... They were U2, before they were this, you know, otherworldly band that seemed to take over everything. Um, 
back in the early days of MTV, I remember seeing the video to Gloria, the first U2 song that I had heard. I'd, I'd never even heard of them until MTV. And then they were playing New Year's Day, and then they would play I Will Follow, and Two Hearts Beat is One. And I'm like, I love this band. And then they did Pride in the Name of Love uh, off of the Unforgettable Fire album, yeah, which song. kind of, like, you can feel it kind of bubbling. Like, this is a, this is the next big band. And so when Live Aid came along, uh, U2 um, had one of the most iconic moments of the entire day. And uh, if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, during uh, the performance of Bad, like they were supposed to do three songs, but the song Bad became like a 13-minute song. Yeah. They kept, you know, uh, Bono was ad-libbing. They were, uh, the Edge was going into guitar solos, and the fans were just going nuts. Yes. Like they got probably the second biggest crowd reaction of the day which if you haven't figured out what number one is yet spoiler we're not going to tell you but you probably know but anyway <laughs> i'd say youtube was also the first to get the big reaction yes I, yeah i think they set the table for the number one but for me this was the, the greatest moment so bono uh, from the stage sees one girl in the crowd who's kind of getting uh, she, people are trying to rush towards the stage. They're like they were so into the performance that this one girl was kind of getting kind of smashed. So he reached that down and and he jumps over the railing like things you're not supposed to do as an artist. And they uh, they had security grab this girl, and um, the song slows way down, and Bono is dancing with this girl. And that scene is forever etched in my mind. It's one of the great... Like, I'm just watching this going, this is my new favorite band. <laughs> and just just seeing that and experiencing that. And, and it's another thing that made Adam Ant mad. Because apparently <laughs> that U2 went over, which is another reason why he was bumped to only one song. <laughs> so that that's kind of the story. So he, he kind of blames Bono for that. Um Adam, I love you, man, but your music at that point was not was not going anywhere. <laughs> so maybe they saved you. Who knows? But uh, that that moment uh, to me was just epic. You know, you two first came down to the lower level with the cameras, mm -hmm. and then he uh, took a longer drop to get mm -hmm. down there. And the thing was, uh, yeah, he was just going to break those rules mm -hmm. uh and uh and uh basically be a hero for that for a young woman and uh and i think especially when you consider that last long jump that he had to make down and then go to the girl this was the hero shot mm -hmm. and uh and, and with all the things that bono bono's uh bono excuse me please forgive me oh hey i think it happens all the time that bono <laughs> has done um since uh, and and for the for the for the good of things, I think that you um, I think that you are seeing a great symbolization mm -hmm. of of the good things that this person's going to end up doing. Oh yeah, you you saw heart, you saw compassion, 
I know he's never been shy talking about his faith. Well, he's never been shy talking about anything. Um, and I know he gets a lot of uh, critics. Like, oh, he's so self-righteous and whatever, whatever. The dude has donated millions and millions of dollars of his own money towards famine relief, towards injustices and poverty. And, you know, he, he's, he's, again, uber rich. He's, you know... Uh, made a lot of money, but he's also given a lot of money away too. Yeah. So don't fault the guy for having money, uh, but you know, would if you were in the same position and you were you know making that kind of money, would you would you give away you know over half of what you've made? I think most people would not. Uh, I think I would have to. Not that I'm being self righteous, but you've got all that money. How much do you need? Yeah, I think <laughs> I, I think I follow with you exa- yeah. exactly on that. I think that is one of U2's biggest moments. And if I, I, I'll just jump to the future, the same my other big moment for U2 mm-hmm. was when they performed and they had the names of the 9-11 victims yes. just coming up the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, that is the one thing about U2. They can set the emotion. They can set the message. Yes. And, uh, and then I think just for kicks, I think U2 knew that they had the audience so the so he starts to uh, sing through the phrases of uh, "Goodbye Ruby Tuesday," "Sympathy mm-hmm. for the Devil," mm-hmm. and then finally uh, Lou Reed's "Walk on the Wild Side." I mean, why not use what you got? I'm sure Adam Ant's back there just pressing his fist to his hand. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't sing ant rap. <laughs> so sorry, Adam. Again, we we don't mean to pick on you, but you know. But uh, yeah, to me, that was my favorite moment of the day. Again, being the fan, seeing it live, that was monumental for me. But but uh, but it's not number one. Number one. Well, I think he kind of knew it was coming. Our number one uh, event, uh, number one moment from Live Aid, was the performance by Queen. It completely took over the show. Yes. Uh, I remember seeing this live. Again, uh, being a fan of Queen, uh, they weren't—they were never my favorite band. But I remember when the game came out. Oh yeah. And crazy little thing called Love. Another one bites the dust came out, and that's probably like the peak of Queen for me. I remember like I remember earlier hearing like we were rocking and we are the champions and I knew Bohemian Rhapsody. So I, I'm hearing uh, I, to me Queen had kind of already passed their prime, and for all intents and purposes, on as far as record sales and things, they had. But when they they came out, I, I didn't realize how big they were in England. Uh, the the fans, as crazed as they were for you too, was up about another notch when Queen came out. Yes. And I, I have this visual in my mind of uh, Radio Gaga and uh, Gaga, Gaga, Gaga. Radio Gaga. I'm a baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, and the hands clapping, the people yes. in the crowd. And it's just, he starts them. Because they're not caught before that. He starts them, and almost instantly, everybody starts clapping along. And I, I know my friend Jerry Andrews is probably the biggest Queen fan I know. 
Um, I, I, he's probably smiling right now, wanting to kill me if I didn't make this this, this number <laughs> nice. one. But I mean, it honestly is. I mean, they made the uh, the Bohemian Rhapsody movie last year, and yes. they did like a frame for frame reproduction. Follow it so tightly. Yeah. So talk to us uh, your thoughts when you saw Queen that day, and uh, I know the performance so well that when I watched the movie. I was looking for the the flaws. Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh and I was the first to say, "Hey, wait. Where's crazy little thing got love?" <laughs> uh, fortunately, it's in the extended. I thought I thought actually for homage, I thought it was a brilliant portrayal. Yes. Um and it gave honestly Freddie Mercury more more of the appreciation that I think that performer deserves. Oh, yeah. He um he revolutionized where uh, you could take music Right uh, in the rock era, on a performance level, I mean, of course he's strong vocally, but as a performer, as a leading, as a lead lead singer of, uh, uh, what's the, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, um, uh, that commanding presence that a, I think that's the have. word, yes, uh, um, which he did, and uh, and the artist from off stage was noticing it, and they're like, you got to understand that that at this time. Queen was under some controversy. Mm-hmm. Radio Gaga um, brought up some controversy uh, um, uh, uh, about um, Freddie Mercury and uh, also the fact that the band had uh, performed uh, 12 concerts um, in South Africa, mm-hmm. which uh, currently was being banned because of the apartheid. Correct. People weren't expecting them to have a, a, a good reaction. Mm-hmm. But they saw what how he was controlling the audience, and they would say, hey, Queen's still in the show. Yeah. And um, I think Adam Ant was mad about that too. <laughs> uh, probably. Probably just sitting around. He's like, oh, there's another reason to hate this thing. Yes. And uh, the. What made it so iconic was it was almost like Freddie Mercury. Yeah, maybe he didn't know, but it was going to be some of the last time that he could address himself with pure health yeah. to the audience. Oh, yes. And uh, one of the moments that I think touched people most was during uh, We Are the Champions mm-hmm. when he took that I Thank You All and directed it directly to the audience. Yes. Um, this, um, you know, I think um, I think that, that this made this the iconic performance of Queen. Yes, I, I, I would agree. Um, again liking queen um and again you want to see these performers at their prime and as we talked about with led zeppelin that wasn't their finest hour (coughs) duran duran not their finest hour um queen i think this was like that i I never saw them live but i've seen video of concerts and things like that this this iconic performance was them at the, the peak of their powers like this yes. was this band, this snapshot of them at their absolute best. Freddie, like you said, his health would decline. He passed away of AIDS. Was it nineteen eighty six or nineteen ninety? Somewhere around there. Yeah, but it was. Um, you know, we we didn't. You know, we didn't get to see what he would become later. We didn't get to see. You know, what music he had left in him and what he could have maybe. Um, passed on to 
1991 that he passed away. Um, we didn't get to see like him maybe doing some collaborations maybe with other artists. Like, say for example, how cool would it have been to hear him sing in Radio Gaga with Lady Gaga? Oh yeah, you know? so. uh, which that's how she she took her name is from that song that she grew up listening to for real. Yes, okay. so um, it, it things like that, and it's all these artists later that that credit him, you know, like you said, he kind of helped change the way people saw lead singers, not as just these divas or whatever, but they can add something. Like I, I put him up there again, preference. Uh, I, I would put him up there. I, I put David Lee Roth in that category. I put Steve Perry in that category. But I think... Um, uh, I, well, I put Bono up there. I put Sting up there. Like, there's sort of like a a group of guys that kind of set themselves apart. Uh, I would sit, probably put Freddie above all of them as a showman. Um, that, you know, he's he is... I would say he's in a class all by himself... Or, or maybe he's in the classroom, but he's the head of the class. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think other guys are, are pretty close or whatever. But even his, uh, his, uh, yeah, I guess you call it his logo stance, mm-hmm. which is uh, uh, often used. Mm-hmm. Um, you can feel all the emotions with it. Yeah. Freddie Mercury made an impact, and he made this impact. Even before the movie, on the day of his death, they played the music outside his house, mm-hmm. and people gathered. He he touched people. Yeah, he did. And I, again, um, I don't want to say I'm out of touch with things. I I try to try to pay a little bit of attention to modern music now, but there are there's nobody that that's come along that's that's even in that category, especially now where uh, it seems like performers are more manufactured yes um they are propped up by radio um or not by radio i'm sorry with by record executives by publicity people they they make stars yes and uh you know they just they, they don't hold a candle to to this this kind of uh performer you listen to the master tapes of queen mm-hmm. and they didn't have the chance to fix the pitches and everything right what you're hearing is what's there. Yeah, and if if you've if you've heard if you, if you listen to like isolated vocals on uh, some of the songs, very pure. Yes, pure voice. They he he was an absolute artist. Yes, yes. Speaking of which, that kind of wraps up our live aid conversation. Um, little background on Tim. Uh, he is. A musician himself and has done a lot of work so I've asked him to kind of talk about his website and uh, what he uh, what he um, what he does and and what he contributes um, well putting me right next to Freddie Mercury that's a that, that's a precarious place you no know, if, if Freddie was still around today he would like come to you for advice I'm yeah. sure oh oh yeah <laughs> but uh, honestly uh, I I, I I pursue music because uh, it, it it runs in the family, but um, it's a passion that I've had since I was a kid, and I w- and I uh, would not let my dreams go mm-hmm. on this path of life. 
So a lot of the, I make music today. Uh, I make a lot of things for independent releases. Mm-hmm. I make music for um, uh, theater productions uh, in different states. Uh, I also make music for uh, independent theater. I make music for radio stations um, and uh, probably things that I'm not thinking about right now. Um, and uh, uh, also a writer. I, uh, I've written um, uh, uh some short stories, novels, and probably the one that 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 is the um, most lively of them is a series of stories uh, called Magic and Poison. Uh, this is um, this is where we take the great fairy tales, uh, and we take the fairy tales and we mix them together to make all original stories that reflect upon the fairy tales. The whole purpose of that is to have people watch the show and say, "Wait a minute, I recognize that." Mm-hmm. And then go back and read the fairy tale. Einstein said that if you want to raise intelligent children, read them fairy tales. If you want them to be more intelligent, read them more fairy tales. And this concept I hold to is dear. And Magic and Poison, it now has uh, two musicals that perform uh, right here in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, there's a there's a third one, uh, third musical that I'm writing right now. I compose the music, I write the script, and then I have a lot of great talent come in and make it into something that is just wonderful to watch. And uh, and uh, but yeah, that's uh that's pretty much what I do. Uh, you said the websites, Magic and Poison, for the main production. Uh, and then if you just want to see my stuff. Um, look up uh, Timothy S. Clue, K-L-U-G-H, and you'll find some of my stuff out there. And I, I was looking at the website myself, and, and he's got like a ton of music and things out here that he's composed and done. Very talented guy, and and definitely, as you can tell, an authority on Live Aid and fan of 80s music, so he fits right in with this crazy, demented little group that we have. So love it. uh, Tim, I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate your time and lending your your knowledge to what we're doing here. My pleasure. And uh, I hope that, uh, you know, you guys go check out his website. And and I think that's all the time we have for today. Um, Again, thank you very much. And... uh, you all uh thank you for your time and sticking with us this week and uh we will see you uh next week on living in the 80s Today is the best day in my life.